0: Hi, everyone. This is Javier, your host here at The Restore Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about The Restore Podcast topics, guests, your favorite episodes, or whatever you may want to let us know. And I am so happy to announce that now you can do that simply by texting us. By going to the show notes, there you will see a link that simply says, send us a text message. Click on it. Don't remove the number there that you will see and simply send us a text. Simple as that. So don't wait, go to any episode show notes and text us now. Let us know your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. God bless.
1: Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Restore podcast, episode one. I am your host, Javier Diaz. This podcast has been launched with the hopes that it will be a tool to help restore the vision, help restore the mission, hence restoring the church, and I am so excited to begin this journey. Though this is a ministry of the Florida Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Ministerial Department, we believe the conversations that will be had and the principles mentioned are ones that could be used in all churches of all faiths. We believe firmly also, and we want to state this from the very get-go, we believe firmly in the power of the gospel, for it is what empowers the movement of the church. And as it has been said by Bill Hybels and others, the church is the hope of the world. It is our desire to help restore that hope in all churches and to give hope to those who will plant new ones. Recently, the Florida conference of Seventh-day Adventists put on its inaugural Restore Conference, and it was an incredible time together. We heard from well-known speakers such as David Kenneman, president of Barna Research, Jonathan Dodson, who wrote The Unbelievable Gospel, which won the 2015 Christianity Today uh, Book of the Year Award in the apologetics evangelism category. We also heard from Many other uh, pastors and the stories of how the Lord is restoring the vision, restoring the mission in their churches and their congregations. We heard from many leaders also. And so this podcast was created as an ongoing resource in which those conversations can continue to take place and speak towards the journey of restoring the church. And for this first episode, we we really wanted to lay a foundation as we move forward with our podcast. And so I was able to sit down with Pastor Mike Colley, President of the Florida Conference, as well as Pastor Tim Nichols, VP for Pastoral Ministries. Uh, They have actually been two of the leaders, the visionaries for Restore. So we hope this conversation will be a catalyst that will uh, give you something to think about and so, also, I'd like for you to please stay tuned uh, for my closing remarks after that conversation. So, without further ado, here it is. I want to welcome Mike Colley and Tim Nichols to Episode 1 of the Restored Podcast. Thank you both for being here, and we really appreciate your time.
2: It's really great to be with you, and I'm excited about what the opportunities are going to be Going forward with this podcast, yeah,
1: we're looking forward to being able to create a dialogue and spend time talking about these things. And uh, to be here as the first podcast getting started uh, is a great opportunity for us to you know, begin that journey.
0: Great. Well, let's get right, right into it. Um, we just got out of um, a busy season getting ready for the first conference, the first Restore conference. Um, And even though at the conference it was spoken about, uh, for those that weren't able to make it and um, as we move forward, I'm just going to ask the simple question, why Restore?
2: Restore is an opportunity to build a place where dialogue can take place about the need for change for the sake of effective mission in North America, in Western culture, we are challenged with knowing how to effectively grow the Adventist Church, and we have relied upon populations from the southern parts of uh, our hemisphere and other places in the, the world to keep our growth up in North America. But we're not all—we're not retaining the children, so we have to do something in order to become much more effective in kingdom advancement. Yes, not a lot of our churches, when it comes down to the local church level, a lot of churches
1: have lost their sense of purpose and the vision for what they exist for is, um, you know, kind of very small circle. And when we think about restore, we think about restoring life in the church, restoring the mission to the church, uh, restoring the vision of why they exist. And it's it's common today for people to think, well, you know, maybe the church is kind of no more energy, that particular church may have kind of lost its focus. And you hear people say, well, let's just move on. Let's let them die, and we'll start some new churches. And all the energy and all the passion goes into new church plants. The challenge is that by doing that, we leave behind a lot of resource. We leave mm-hmm. behind a lot of potential. We leave behind a lot of opportunity those churches could have sure. if they could be restored to what they were there for from the beginning.
0: Okay, great, great. Thank you for that answer. Um I, I would venture to say that um the essence of restore and everything you guys have just, you know, mentioned is not simply just for our faith community, uh, but it's also for the Christian community at large, right? Regardless of what you know, of what um you know, actual denomination people may be coming from. Um, because we know that people are gonna be listening to this podcast who are not from our own faith community, but we have something in common, is that we want to lead people to a restored vision. Can we say that?
1: Absolutely. We've joined the conversation with others in other faith communities because they challenged with the same challenges. And certainly um, none of us has all the answers, but we want to learn from each other. We feel an obligation to create a stronger dialogue within the Adventist community um, because that's uh, probably where uh, we have the opportunity to make a difference But we do want that dialogue to be broader, and we're all trying to find the answers to reach people who are lost.
2: Just this week, I had to serve on a committee with Andrews University at the seminary, uh, and one of the accrediting bodies sent a uh, person to work uh, for the accrediting association who is the dean of the Southern Baptist Seminary, and Mm. I was talking to him about the challenges he has in ministerial education, what to do to prepare pastors. It was amazing that his most focused talent uh, in terms of what he's working on to develop the most is helping pastors and congregations know how to change themselves for effective mission. Wow. So they have the very same challenges, even though they have a different denominational context. Sure. It just is a need within Christianity in North America.
0: Okay. Okay. So so with that need of being restored, let, let me ask the very pointed question to both of you. I would say that between, we were talking before uh, recording this podcast, and I believe that, Mike, you told me that between both of you, you had well over 200 years. I mean, 80 years of, <laughs> of actual, you know, um, different type of local ministry in, in the local church, as long with administratively. But that said, tell us. What does an unrestored church look like, and what does a restored church look like? so I'm going to bundle that loaded question there for both of you.
2: Well, Tim and I can share that. Uh, the unrestored church is a church that is uh, is really uh, struggling for knowing what to do to connect and engage with their community in a way that people's lives are being changed. And I Tim made a comment recently. I'd love to have him uh, open uh, into that conversation. Yeah, I, I was just
1: talking to a pastor actually t- earlier today, um, a pastor who you probably would define it as an unrestored church. Um, this is a pastor who has a lot of passion for reaching people. He has a lot of passion for connecting to new folks in the community and He just really wants to lead his church in that direction, has been working at that for some years, um, and discovers that so often the church that he's in, though it's full of loving people, people who really love the church, who really want to do well, but so often much of what they think about the church is about keeping the church as it is operating well. In other words, the programs of the church for the church um, the the activities that happen within the church are mostly all for the members. But, but it's some, sometimes it's like a, operating and maintaining a fort. You know, it's like we have this and the program's for us. We're very comfortable. We like what we're doing. You know, we believe that we're making a difference, but most of what we're doing is for us. Um, and so they have a hard time understanding um, the vision of reaching people who are really far from God in their own community. And so... They're good people, they're loving Christians, but they don't know how to really go beyond themselves for the mission of God. And so, they, in a sense, have lost their purpose that way. And it doesn't mean they're bad people, it doesn't mean they're a bad church. Um, You visit there, you'd probably think this is a really nice group of people. We love what they're doing. But we want more. Um, We want Restore to be about restoring that vision for the kingdom of God, reaching people who don't know Jesus. And... It's not enough to live inside the fort. Uh, not enough to keep status quo healthy, because healthy is more than that. Healthy is finding a way to touch the lives of people far from God, building relationships with them, and making a place where they can come and and develop in their experience with Him. It is, it is that discipling process. So, so healthy restored is actively engaged in your community with people who are not just like us, and. Creating a discipling process where they can begin a journey of following Jesus and learn what that means.
0: Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is essentially that in an unrestored church, if we can use that um, you know terminology, is a church that could have very loving people, and and that's that's saying a lot. So it's not. We always uh, say, or some people may say, I, I want to go to a church that's friendly. Or if you go to a church and you ask them, are you guys a friendly, loving church? I haven't found a church that answers, no, we're just a mean, unloving church. Most of them say that. So that is not the key um, to a restored church. So they can be friendly. They can be loving. But if the church is not actively reaching its community, if it's not actively endeavoring to reach those that are not like us, that don't believe like us, that don't follow Jesus... Um, then the bottom line is that it can be a loving church within themselves. But actually here, and this may be a little bit uh, profound for some or maybe hurtful, but maybe they're not as loving as they think they are. Because if they're not reaching people for Jesus, right, which is our ultimate you know, mission, uh, then they're not really out there restoring that essence in the people's lives. Because everybody we believe— yeah needs Jesus. Is that is that fair
1: to say? I think it's common, to, as you said, for people to say we're loving, but the, the measure of being a loving church is not whether we love each other in the church. Hmm. Um, and sometimes we even say that and we love each other on one day a week, but during the rest of the week we may not have any interaction at all. Right. So being loving means to be willing to go out of our comfort zone for others, um, to make sometimes sacrifices for the benefit of others. And to go out of our own way to do something that will be a blessing to other people, um, helping them, serving them,
2: seeing them transformed in their life—not just doing what's good for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the contrary uh, to that is the unrestored church, and I think the restored church, as even though it may be what we would always say are good Christian people, it. It isn't. Uh, it isn't enough just to even be about evangelism. The church family, the congregation, has to have a uh, concept. Has to have a concept of wanting to enlarge their own growth with Jesus, and they need to be uh, growing in their spiritual maturity and their ability to relate to people that are far from God and their ability to at ease uh, move into the world, so to speak, into places outside of their own subculture of church so that they can interact in a way that exudes light and love and hope and wholeness. And uh, so it's about being a growing people on the inside as well as a people that are expanding in terms of numerical measurements. Okay. I I want to say it goes with that that – you know what we're talking about when we say
1: that is that um, outreach is a outcome that comes from what happens inside your own life. You know, you know if the church falls in love with what Jesus is in love with, it's a it's an indication that they have a really strong, close relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. and it doesn't come because they learned in a classroom or somebody told them that they need to love other people. It it comes because they've come so close to who Jesus is that they can't have it any other way. They have to have the love for others okay. because Jesus loves others.
0: So, so in essence, that, that, that restoration or that restored aspect of, of a church means that it has that first love.
1: It starts with that.
0: True. It starts with that first love. And that first love will invigorate, if I can use that you know word, uh, the essence to really tell others and to live out that life, that restored life, uh, that forgiven life, and that you want to share it with others. And you want to share it with those that, in the best possible way you know how, uh, that are far from God, as you said. And when a, a community of believers is has that first love, has that vision for reaching people in their community, in their sphere of influence, as you said, many mm-hmm. people... They love each other one day you know of uh, of the week and then the rest of the week. They may not even talk to each other, but they encounter obviously at you know work, school, wherever it may be the gym that's fear of influence that they can influence people yeah. for Jesus right and then bring them into a community of believers that 's what we 're talking about a restored church that is constantly on that mission.
1: We often think about the church functioning as a body, as a community, which is a very important thing. But we have we can't forget that the life of the church starts with the life of a member. And so if we think about transformation of a church to restore, it has to have its roots in the transformation of one life at a time. And it's when a group of people who have personally been transformed because of the gospel and what Jesus has done in their life when they've had that experience as individuals and then they join together with that experience, that becomes a living congregation. Mm. And so it does start with prayerfulness. It starts with spending time thinking of the gift of Jesus and what he does for us. So that that's the beginning. That's where the roots are at for the transformation that happens in a church. So Mike and Tim, what
0: I, what I hear you guys saying once again is just to, just for our listeners, let me try to… You know, encapsulate all this, uh, particularly in this question, because in this first episode, I I really want us to lay the foundation of why we're doing this um, in going forward. And so, an unrestored church, an unrestored church could be. We can say a lot about it, but for the sake of clarity, is a church that is essentially um, not reaching its community. The members are not really reaching their sphere. Of influence, or at least intentionally through god's grace, uh, trying whatever they can to reach people that are not close to God that are far from you know far from God um, and that this community of believers, of course, as much as we say that you know it's not just about love but that's important as well that they should love one another, but love Jesus enough that that they will have that sense of urgency mm-hmm. that they are to share. Respectfully, what Jesus means to them. So a restored church then is, obviously one could say, well, it's simply the opposite. And actually, it is, right? It's just the opposite of what an unrestored church is. So a restored church is just a people that first and foremost love Jesus with all their hearts, their minds, and their soul. And that invigorates them to to go out and do in multiple ways, reaching people that are far from God.
1: And the beauty of that is that it doesn't look the same every time. Correct. Correct. In, a, in a, one community, it looks like you know one way of connecting to people and loving people. In another community, the outward appearance may look completely different, but it's driven from the same desire um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of other people.
0: Okay. So now I'm going to ask you guys, along those same lines, and now that we've laid out what an unrestored church kind of looks like and what a restored church looks like, so let's get to the, where the old saying goes, where the rubber meets the road. So because we stated from the beginning, uh, Mike, you did, that, that many of our churches across North America are, are having a hard time reaching uh, the famous word, you know, millennials, and uh, reaching other people, uh, second, third you know, generation of immigrants. Uh, they're, you know, kids. Um, what does that journey look like for a church, for a leader, a pastor, uh, to take a church that, that we can label as, as unrestored, not that we want to give churches label, but a church that is not actively reaching its community, its fear of influence. It's just kind of all about us, you know, for us, by us, as uh, someone has said before me. Um, what does that journey look like? to go from an unrestored church to a restored church. And, and it's not that we are ever going to make it or, or, or reach that point. It's a continued journey. But as we, as many leaders, pastors, and congregations are on that or are going to begin that journey, um, tell us a little bit with, from your experience, from, from talking to so many pastors over the course of time, from being part of it, what does that look like? Because I know it cannot be easy
2: i would say um one of the key points uh is that the 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 journey for a congregation begins with individual leaders so it begins with the pastor it begins with the pastor then leading his leaders in the congregation in that same direction that same path it is not a quick fix it takes time. Uh, this is a journey that's going to be a seven to ten year at least journey if mm. you're really going to be effective in leading a, uh, a congregation into a new form of ministry and mission that is that becomes part of their culture. You you can change some new progr- some programs add new programs, but you can't change the culture of a church in three years. Okay, it'll so, go backwards. So, so what you're saying here, just yeah. and I hate to interrupt, but this
0: is this is absolutely crucial. Is the fact that what you're saying. Is that essentially a leader has to come in with that vision of changing a culture? And, and Mike, you know about vision, you know about changing the culture. Um, is that an easy task?
2: It is not. It's it's a hard task, and it's not for people that want an easy deal. Mm, <laughs> it is. Uh, but what could be more rewarding? Yes. Than to build a culture that reflects the kingdom of God. And it's not. It's not like you're just changing the program. Mm.
1: You know, you can come along and change the program in a few months. Um, and depending, you might run into obstacles, and you might run into people who disagree. But changing a program is, even though that may sometimes be difficult, is a much simpler thing than changing culture. Uh, you know, the change in the culture is something that must go deeper, it must be something that's in the ownership of the people who are part of it. And so as a leader, I think that's the, the hard part, is having the patience mm. to, to get people to understand it, to own it, to be full participate you know, participants in it, that means that it can't be your vision alone. I do believe that the pastor is usually the first one to catch it, mm-hmm. the first one to fall in love with what needs to happen and and has a, a sense of what it looks like, probably because pastors spend a lot of time thinking about these things and right. praying about these things. Not that they necessarily pray more than others, but but I think it's because they are thinking, how do I help? be what i'm supposed to be and as leaders they have to help bring people into that same spiritual process it's not just saying here's a new course correction but let's come together and and seek god's guidance and let him lead us because ultimately uh christ is the head of the church if the church is going to change direction or uh, find its purpose it will ultimately come from that and that as much as a pastor is an important leader he has to be a spiritual leader as much as a program leader, Hmm. more so. And so if the pastor will understand that this is a prayer process, that it's uh, leading people into a spiritual journey, not just a program change, that's the beginning of culture change, understanding that it comes from that process.
0: So this journey is is a journey that it's going to be a while, it's going to take a while. Um, you know, Mike, you said uh-huh. five to seven or seven, seven nine, to ten. Seven it's probably ten more years. like at
2: least ten. More like at least I ten. I mean, if you're okay. really going to be honest with yourself.
0: Okay, uh, but but I would venture to say that we can also see some change over the course of maybe four, five, six, you know, year yeah. mark. Um, it's so a we, matter
2: of grounding it so much that the culture of the church mm-hmm. is 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 um, steeped right. in that. So a pastor comes. And, and we've all seen it goes so well if the pastor has certain gifts and the people are receptive and it all seems to be working the right way. And then three years the pastor leaves and in six months you have the same boring Sabbath school programs. I hear you. And all the other things mm-hmm. that that shows that the church wasn't able to encapsulate that whole thing into their own existence as the body.
0: Okay. So it, it takes it takes time. It takes a leader um, and those that will follow the leader and and be with them because he can't do it alone. Right, as John Man. Maxwell says, if if you're leading and nobody's following you, uh, then obviously you're not really leading. Um, and those are my own words. I'm you know para- I'm paraphrasing him. But um, it also takes um, a, a a community that is once again. Ultimately, as you said, Christ is the head of our church that is passionately in love with Jesus because of what Jesus has done for them.
1: Yes, and and the reality is the journey is not an easy one. As was said already, the journey is one that requires sacrifice Mm -hmm. because, you know, the reality is not everyone will understand why a person, a a leader is trying to do this. Um, There will always be some in any organization who um, don't want any change, no matter what the reason there 'll always be some who are comfortable already, and why would you make me uncomfortable um, there 'll be people who you know love the church but um, don 't have a bigger picture of why the church is here and this um, is not a criticism of those people it 's just the reality and so that will create pushback and a leader uh, and even a group of leaders as a team that are trying to see the church restored. Mm-hmm we'll run into that kind of um, resistance and pushback. And sometimes it becomes pretty serious conflict. And I think that is what requires of the leader uh, a sense of patience, Um, not giving up the vision, but continuing to renew that vision and communicate it over and over and over again. Um, It's when, it's when the leader gets frustrated and, um, gets kind of wanting to give up and begins to react poorly, sure. that it actually hurts the potential to move forward and slows the process. But to be patient, to be loving in spite of how other people may see things um, allows it to you know, make progress little at a time, small victories, small um, improvements, and then honoring those improvements by telling the story of how it changed lives helps other people get it who didn't get it early on but that's a journey that's that's sometimes a rough journey and right. um, it, i think that's the willingness to be in that kind of a sacrificial surrendered state over a period of time that means that not every leader is ready to do it
0: okay so you hear something sacrifice that's a that's a big word and and sometimes um, even as leaders as pastors um, you know sometimes we only talk about the congregation, but sometimes pastors also don't want to sacrifice enough, right? right. So we got to be fair to that. So it takes a joint sacrifice of relinquishing the status quo yeah. for the essence of the gospel and the lifting up of Jesus Christ. With that, with that said, though, one, one of the pushbacks, and you mentioned pushbacks in, in any leader, pastor, congregation that is going through this journey of change uh, for the sake of the gospel, if I can say it that way, for the sake of restoration— um, at least in our faith community, we we often hear uh, the following lines: "Well, pastor, or where, or or well, leader, you fill in the blank." The standards, mm-hmm. right? You know that that methodology is lowering the standards of the church, and and we're not following the ways of uh, that we were taught growing up, and, and and so we have this kind of language, right? That is it, that is part of that pushback, and so. Even though our topic here is not about methodology, but because that's such or can be in many places such a big aspect of the pushback, right? Particularly the standards part. You know, if you, if you listen to this music or if you do it this way or if you do evangelism that way, that's not keeping with the standards. And again, how in principle as leaders, as a congregation, uh, do you suggest that we continue to push through that. And when I, don't, I don't, when I mean push through, I don't mean to bulldoze people or anything of that nature, right. but uh, push through that conflict. Um, and, and how do you respond to that when somebody asks you that?
1: Well, I'd say that um, most of those conflicts are because we we have a tendency to spend more of our time on what the change is and not enough time on why. Hmm. Um, Reggie McNeil says that um, most of these uh, visions are failed. Most visions that want to move forward fail, not because the vision suffered or had something wrong with it, but because the leader often failed to share why the values um, that drive that vision are actually more values that we have in common than, than not. And I think sometimes a leader focuses on what the change is but if they would spend more time in helping people understand that we're really the reason for that change is because of something we actually share that value. We really do both want the same value to be lived out. We just may have a different understanding at that point in time as to how that gets lived out. And the, and the how is should always be driven by the why. And if we come to understand that better together, um, then, and partly that's what takes time, um, is having that dialogue over time. I think we're more likely to not have the the real heartbreaking conflicts. There might be some differences, but we can still care about each other. We can still dialogue together and move forward. I think also that leader has to have some comfort with ambiguity in the context of that community. In other words, you have to be willing to be misunderstood from time to time. That doesn't mean you leave it that way. It doesn't mean that you um, are misunderstood and create, you know, disagreement over it, but you have to be comfortable with the fact that some people are going to think that it's all about you and that you're just trying to do this because you like it and that you get criticized. You have to remind yourself first that you're not doing it for yourself, that you're doing it for what you believe is God's purpose. Come back to that reason and then decide, how do I help people understand why I'm doing this? What's the real reason and help them to come on board with you in terms of what you both care about. And that is not always easy, but it starts with being comfortable with people being critical and not reacting to that in unhealthy ways, but being patient and helping people to come, so, to, come to understand what you're doing. So per,
0: I, I, I really like what you just said there, the why before the what. So a big part as churches are going through this you know, journey it, it is the fact that Leaders, pastors, uh, uh, those that are leading this change should, should really continue to ask themselves the why question. Why are we wanting to change this? Because yeah. change, for the sake of change, is, is oftentimes not really a good you know, thing. Sorry. But if there is a, a strong principle to the why, so we, we want to, why do we want to change, for example, the service time? Right If you want to reach millennials and your services at eight o'clock in the morning, you're probably not going to get a lot of them right so the mm-hmm. the real simple answer to that is because well we we want to create an environment and their environment wakes up at eleven o'clock, some may say or whatever that may be right just 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 one small example so and we have churches in our conferences that that have services at twelve or twelve thirty um or even later um I know I have a you know a, a, a um, you know colleague who has church at four, mm-hmm. um, and so with that said, you know, but it's the why, the essence of the why, and um, and then getting people on board. Mike, you wanted to say something?
2: Well, I think uh, one of the most essential parts of leading a congregation in this way is a, a deeper understanding of grace. Hmm. So we're really not lowering the standards, we're raising the standard. Okay. The standard is our understanding of the gospel, our understanding of God's acceptance and love for us, the power that 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 has when conveyed to a person that doesn't know Jesus to change their life from the inside out. That becomes a much higher standard than whether you do the... The typical Adventist lifestyle—nothing mm-hmm. wrong with the Adventist lifestyle—but we we sometimes get the externals uh, as our big focus. When in reality, the in, the, in, the inside of making a journey for Jesus to be Lord of everything
1: mm-hmm.
2: is a much higher standard than the than the person who may come to church but not read his Bible very much. Mm or who yells at her children uh, a lot and doesn't seem to have a sense of, of having her life in a place that she conveys the fruits of the gospel in her life. So a, a member who does, does all the rules, so to speak, but doesn't read the Bible very much and doesn't often pray for very long, has got a lower standard than the person who's come to know Jesus and is still figuring out the externals. So the grace of God is the is the part that changes the whole equation and brings depth to the conversation, and that part has to be has to be taught by the leader. Absolutely, I
0: I I firmly believe that um, when individuals are actively, intentionally, I guess is the word, um, seeking to. Truly befriend those that are far from God, which is not an easy task, because um, a lot of us, particularly us that are involved in the, in the work, if we can say it, in the gospel work, sometimes um, we're surrounded mainly w- with people that think like us, act like us, and, and speak like us. But when we step out of those confines, we realize that there is an incredible journey that, that we need to take that we're not taking. Um, but there are many people that are ha- that are taking that many people that love Jesus yes. and are taking that you know journey right. and I think that 's where you say that the standard actually raises mm-hmm. because learning to deal and to act and to respond to the many questions that that um, people who don 't think like us and act like us and worship like us learning to respond to their questions is where our relationship with Jesus grows tremendously is that is that fair to say?
2: Yes, and I think also to ask the question, um, the person, the standard I think we need to be focused upon, which will lead to a lot of the other conversations not being an issue, is are they reading their Bible reflectively mm-hmm. every day at a, for an ample amount of time? Do they take time to pray about everything in their lives that they have to deal with? Do they go at on times on a on a kind of a personal retreat for a half a day or? or whatever, a Sabbath afternoon where they just listen to the Lord and, and just have time to reflect in, in nature or some setting? Are they, do they fast uh, on occasion when they're trying to, uh, trying to work through some of the challenges of life? Uh, do they have a, a small group that they belong to where they can live in community with others? Those are the questions for standards. In my opinion, that really sort mm. out the men from the boys, so to speak.
0: Wow, wow. Um,
2: so, as we
0: as we continue forward, I, I, I again this this first episode is just laying this this foundation of of what this podcast is going you know be about, and it's going to expand. Uh, we're going to talk about leadership. We're obviously going to talk about restoring leadership, restoring the vision, restoring the mission, restoring the you know church. Uh, we're going to dialogue and have some um, very interesting conversations coming up in further podcasts with other people that I'm going to be interviewing. Um, there'll be people who might agree with, with what they say. There'll be people who may disagree with what they say. And you know, that's okay. I, th- I think we need to continue to learn to agree to disagree on on how we do it, as long as we understand, as you were saying you know, Tim, the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And, and, and is it actually bringing results, right? Because mm-hmm. um, if not, then we need to reassess. But that said, before we, cl- we uh, close our time here, um, and going forward, um, what is it that you would, uh, you know, both of you would like to see happen with the Restore Conference? Um, in other words, what would you like to see accomplished through the Restore Conference, the podcast, the continued follow-up with those pastors who want it? Um, this year, in our in our community of faith, we have what we call camp meeting. It's it's the title is also called restored. So, um, at least here in our neck of the woods, that word has been and will continue to be used quite a bit. So, in going forward, um, Mike and Tim, what what do you guys what would you guys like to see with all this?
1: Well, <clears throat> the thing is, we have a challenge to be able to be effective in the mission of god in our culture in our time in our communities the reason we're talking about restore is because we know that we have not been as effective as we want to be as we need to be as we really must be for the kingdom so this is about learning um, this is about discovery it's about taking some risks that we can find things that we don't already know and so this Podcast and this process is about dialogue. It's about listening to each other, and it's about trying things for the sake of the kingdom. So, if we had all the answers and we could write a book, we'd probably just give it all to people, <laughs> and and they'd all be settled. We wouldn't need to have any of this. Right. But we're we're far from that. We, we've begun a journey ourselves. Um, been on this journey for a few years in our particular community um the where we've learned a few things we've tried to learn a lot from others but um we have so much ground to still cover and we just want to expand that circle so we can learn from a broader circle of people
0: yes
2: mike yeah so the question is what are we wanting to do going forward what's the real outcome that we envision or or pray for and i would say um i want to bring hope to the church Mm. I think the church needs legitimate uh basis of hope. There's one th- one thing that we sometimes describe as positive leadership where you go and you hear platitudes and you have and I've done it, you know, because that's I've been in this kind of job a long time, where you get encouragement and all, but it really doesn't have a lot of substance behind it because mm. there's no map to get there. Yeah. What we, I think, are seeing is because the Restore Conference was built around people, pastors, who were having experience and seeing their congregations transformed into a missional mindset or a mission-based culture and a growth in the lives of the people in a deepening with God. That is that is a real basis of hope when other people in North America are able to see God do powerful things. Mm. So to bring hope to the church, because God is at work and God is breaking through and things are happening. And I think we need to, uh, to help others understand the journeys that all of us are on so that we can gather hope from one another. And, and I believe that's the way to advance God's kingdom. Well, thank you so much, Mike and Tim for your time and
0: thank you for your passion, for the desire to see um, the church at large, be restored with hope, because uh, that's the essence, the essence of it. And um, I also really appreciate the fact that we're not here trying to say that we have all the answers. On the contrary, uh, we just want to continue with the dialogue. We want to learn from others, and uh, but that doesn't mean that we may not have something to say. I think we do because of the experiences, not only between you two, uh, but many others um, as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your passion. And... Um, God bless you both. Thank you. God Pleasure.
1: You. And we'll continue the journey together. Amen. So, friends, the journey
0: has begun, and we are just getting started. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pastor Colley and Pastor Nichols, and it's given you something to um, hopefully continue on with that conversation uh, that uh, was had. We uh, plan on going forward to at least once a month release an episode uh, so make sure to please subscribe and so that you don't miss um, them as they are released. Our next episode, coming out at the beginning of March, uh, we will hear a great conversation with Pastor Ivan Williams that I was able to uh, record, actually, at the uh, Restore Conference before he left, after he spoke. I've entitled that episode, and after this title, you really don't want to miss that conversation, but I entitled that episode, Barbershops, manicures, pedicures, and a health clinic. A talk with Ivan Williams. I know it's a bit long, but that's what the title is. So, uh, friends, thanks for listening. Until then, God bless.
2: Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.